Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris, and I'm looking for the best. God, this is ridiculous. I'm, <laughs> I'm of course I'm looking for the best book about uh, total isolation. Mm-hmm. Right as you no. do. At the end of the show, we always ask the litheads to suggest books for us, but maybe we should lean into themes. Like maybe the litheads should be suggesting themes for us because we are clearly terrible at it. Whoa. Well, I mean, like big city books, isolation. Those are best themes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Big city books. Joe, I'm tired of you trash talking big city books. That was possibly one of the greatest things I've come up with. And yes, I'm taking the fall for big city books right here. I think the litheads love Big City. I think I think the litheads want to see a sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Big City Two, bigger cities. City Slickers did it, and we're gonna do it to help me with a book about isolation and a totally upbeat tone to this podcast. Our two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. My name's Joe Holshue, and Nick, you joke, but I have brought maybe the most upbeat book about isolation ever written. Um, it's really about making the best of a bad situation. It is a more Taulis bo- uh, 2016 book, A Gentleman in Moscow. Today, my name is Dr. Ian DeYoung. Today, I'm Just a high school today. English teacher. And today I brought today. the most isolated book there is, Putting the Ice in Isolation, Ooh, oh, Rear good. Admiral Richard really Byrd's book, Alone. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely (laughs) enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. (laughs) Who who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. (laughs) Rear Admiral. Joe, let me just say right now, you're going to want to make, I can tell, I can hear that little (laughs) lilt in your voice, you want to make some disrespectful comments about Richard Byrd, but let me just say, he froze so many of his body parts clean right clean off. I'm sorry? You you best be careful. Interesting. Like like moles or or like, like vestigial like toes? His posterior perhaps? Perhaps is that posterior. why he's called a is rear probably why did it freeze off? Yeah. I'm not going to talk about vestigial limbs because that's again disrespectful. Is it an honorary title because he froze his ass off? <laughs> rear admirable. <laughs> Somebody really had fun with well, that he was, one. He was an actual. I, um, my my my. I'm not talking today about him very much, um, except for the whole book is about him. But mm. I did some research on him, and it turns out he became kind of the living expert on Antarctica to the point that when World War II rolled around, the U.S. was like, uh, we need someone to guard Antarctica. So they sent him to Antarctica to make just, sure. Just him. <laughs> just him in a penguin costume. That seems <laughs> right. like it might have been a joke. And that is the origin of the Batman villain, the Penguin. The Penguin. <laughs> Joe, you had a fun fact that was uh, going to... I have a fun fact. It's about Antarctica. Here for us. Can, I, can I still use it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the North Pole, which is not Antarctica, it's the North Pole. That is the great average fact. depth of ice on the North Pole is thirty feet deep. Okay, okay, great. In in Antarctica, <laughs> the average depth of ice is three miles. <laughs> that is insane. Think of how much yeah. more ice that is. That's insane. That's a lot of ice. That's so much ice. Um, 
can I can I share a fact with you? Absolutely. All right. All right. So in the world of of fun facts, um space shuttles when they're when they're leaving space, when they're leaving the orbit, when they're going up up, when they're going up. So so when they're leaving the earth. Yeah, when they're leaving the earth. When they're going to space. That's the opposite of leaving orbit, yes. Um, they travel uh four almost five miles a second. (laughs) (laughs) Is that true? Like in exit when they exit the earth? They travel about seventeen thousand five hundred miles per hour, which if you do some quick arithmetic is uh shockingly fast. (laughs) It's still one of the facts that just blows my mind every time I hear it. (laughs) Just drive next time you're in the car. Just imagine being f- five miles ahead of where you're driving in one second. I my mind just flashes back to like all well, it flashes back to like the right stuff and like the G force, like uh, uh yes. you know the the spinny thing that we're all familiar with. That's yeah, been the spinny like whirly whirly the, the spinny yeah. whirly thing. And I just imagine Can, early early NASA being like, "Look, we <laughs> want to send people into space." But it's going to be really fast. <laughs> like, we don't know what people should be able to do, but definitely withstand really, really fast speeds is one of them. Well, well, how, how fast do you think it's going to be, Jim? Well, we're, we're thinking so fast that everybody will puke. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Do you guys want to know, um, uh, like, one more fun fact? Yeah, we would yeah. love to round that out. Rule of three is here. <laughs> the number of lit heads who have clicked away from this podcast in the last <laughs> yes. five minutes is <laughs> how many per second? Infinity. Hey, welcome, welcome, lit heads. Uh, welcome to our our weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast here. Um, and every, yeah, as you know, uh, every week we pick a theme and two books that don't really match, and um, we fight and bicker, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a couple show rules to keep us in line here. Uh, rule number one is, of course, only unavoidable spoilers. We try to keep those to a minimum. Uh, rule number two is uh, omit needless words, Joe. Uh, Got it. We omit just we just apologize words. so much for some of Joe's stories. And <laughs> rule number three is um, uh, winning isn't the only thing. It's the only thing. <laughs> no, what is it? <laughs> Winning is I really thing. like that Nick has <laughs> so few jobs on the, on the actual recording of this show. I'd like, I'd like to propose a raft of perhaps sub rules or mm-hmm. um, hmm. uh, replacement shadow rules, we might say. Mm-hmm. Rule number rules. one, don't you dare. Rule number two, watch yourself. And uh-huh. rule number three, don't even think about it. Yeah. Right. That is the raft oh. of shadow rules. The rules Love that the actually govern the podcast. Yeah. Well, I think rules are just fun. So it's good to have as many as you can. <laughs> so, uh, hey, Joseph, do you want to take 30 seconds to just tell me about your book quickly? Yeah. Well, I would not love quickly, to like 30 specifically 30 seconds. To seconds. quickly tell you about my book quickly. <laughs> um, Nick, if human beings deserve our consideration, they deserve our reconsideration. Whoa. A Gentleman of Moscow, written by 2016, nope, written in 2016 by Amor Taulis, is about Count Alexander Ilyich Rostov, a man who has been found guilty by the Bolsheviks of being a social parasite. Rather than execute him, though, he's saved by the merits of a revolutionary poem that he wrote in his youth, and he's sentenced to live out his life in the luxury hotel metropole under house arrest. Nick, it's the best book I've read lately. I've read it three times in the last three months. I've just enjoy it tremendously. Just some additional arithmetic that is once per month. 
Thank you. Thank you. No, um, math I'm really liking this new character Nick is trying out. Oh. Math man. Math man. Um, wait, I'm sorry. He's sentenced. I have a lot of questions. He's sentenced right. for his like crimes to live in a luxury hotel right well i don't want to get joe into it too i'm much sorry here. i gotta say this sounds like it's not particularly realistic sure well here's the thing they put him in a really small room in that hotel oh, like do you, the poor like, do you know how like oh when you God. get a last minute room on hotel tonight how it's like, like a junior over the steps you know like it's always like the worst room in the place it's even worse than that it wouldn't even be on hotel tonight I had, I I recently used Hotel Tonight, um, Mm -hmm. coincidentally, and... This uh, episode brought to you by Hotels Tonight, and um, I booked it at like one o'clock, and then I called the hotel, and I said, hey, would it be possible to drop off our luggage and and check into the rooms? Um, Because I don't know if you guys know, uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and hotels are completely Mm -hmm. empty. And yeah. he goes, oh, let me see here, sir. Da, da, da. Let's see your um, reservation. Oh, you booked with hotels tonight. No, you're going to have to come at four o'clock. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So they must have some be- sort of rule where you can't, you're just trash if you're booking hotels tonight. Yeah. Every time I've booked through a last minute hotel service, like I feel maybe, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's placebo or something, but I feel like I am treated like the scum of the earth from the moment I walk oh, into yeah. that hotel. They know, they know, they know, they, they know. know. Ian, uh, the, the, the group we're alienating today is Sam Shank, Jared Simon and Chris Bailey, who founded hotel tonight <laughs> and who have since wow. fallen on hard times and are struggling to stay afloat. <laughs> Sad well, story. they should probably let people check in before four o'clock and then they wouldn't be struggling <laughs> so much. Maybe renegotiate some of those fucking Nick, deals. Nick is just fine with dragging hotel tonight. <laughs> CEO Sam Shank. It's nothing personal. I just think I don't think I'd book with them again because I, I wanted to get into the hotel. Well, it's like you're, you're at 10 percent occupancy. How about you take my fucking luggage? Yeah, maybe it was his fault. Maybe not hotels tonight. Our sponsor, Sam, Sam. <laughs> Ian, can you please just just tell me about the fucking book? In 1934, Rear Admiral Richard Byrd set out to stay alone in a shack in Antarctica through the polar night. Things very quickly went bad, and for four months, Byrd battled injuries, asphyxiation, malnutrition, and extreme cold, trying to stay alive until rescue could arrive. His account of these months, the book alone, which I brought this week, is scary and disgusting and ultimately triumphant a non-fiction testimony to the power of human ingenuity and willpower a rear admiral is a military rank it's regarded as a two-star quote-unquote admiral rank quote-unquote admiral hey joe admiral yes Uh hey joe i'm just gonna warn you nick is all over wikipedia and google today so Uh we gotta watch yourself (laughs) we gotta watch your backs fierce our P's and Q's. Um, feeling fact checky. <laughs> I don't know what Joe said at all about his book. These are both now. Normally, I can like cro- draw the line because like, oh, one's in the snow and the other one's in the desert, you know, right. like that. But now they're both kind of in cold areas, so it's both like in the snow. First. Moscow is basically yeah, Antarctica. Yes. What's colder? Absolutely Antarctica. I'm pretty sure Moscow. 
Oh, man. Hey, Joe. <laughs> Probably, how yeah. many times does it get, get down to negative 75 degrees in your book? How many times, uh, Joe? Well, he's in the hotel the whole time, so it's hard to say. Oh, my gosh. Oh, a life of luxury. <laughs> so much colder. How did he book that hotel? It's a really small room. <laughs> uh well, Ian, since your place is colder, let's start with you, As which is how, that's how we pick the order here. <laughs> <laughs> we, this podcast has this rules, is, and one of them yeah. is which book is colder. Cold place goes first. <laughs> <laughs> Time honored tradition. Um, you guys, let's start with the cold. OK, let's start with the cold. Mm-hmm. OK, I didn't realize before reading this book how uh-uh. utterly alien winter in antarctica is mm. so this book it's it's really well written he he kind of starts off saying oh i'm not a very good writer but mm. it's really well Dios written it's very, it's, it's very evocative it's dramatic he's got these beautiful descriptions of the aurora australis which is like the northern lights but in the south because mm. it's the south pole southern um, lights, wait, just uh, absolute borealis and Austral- australis australia so the northern lights. The northern lights are called aurora borealis. Is that why it's called Australia? Because it's in the south. This yes, yes. Holy, look at you, good Nick guys. You figured that out all by yourself. Well done. Nick. How exciting! What does that mean? Tell us the Latin root. <laughs> I don't know. Is that supposed good. to be a Latin accent? <laughs> it was dreadful. <laughs> I don't know. It sounded like Count Dracula swallowed some blood the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about how utterly alien the Antarctic winter is. So I'm going to get back to that. Um, there are these just beautiful <laughs> right, look it up. lyrical descriptions of Aurora Australis. He talks about incredible cold. He gets to the point where when it's negative 20 degrees, he's like, oh, good, a warm day. <laughs> um, 700 foot deep crevasses that are hidden under a fragile crust of snow, howling winds, powerful storms, darkness, darkness, so complete that uh, Richard Bird walks for half an hour and gets completely lost and almost freezes to death. So Antarctica is like on Earth. It's part of our planet. But the way he describes it seems like a science fiction description of an alien world. So the Latin word is Australe, which which literally means the South Country. Sure, sure. Is that related to like austerity at all, Nick? Or um... posterity? No, austerity. Austerity is a set of political economic policies mm-hmm. aimed to reduce government budget defic- uh, deficits through thing. spending cuts, tax increases, and a combination of both. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, definitely. All right. We're cutting into Ian's time here. Ian, uh, things go bad. Things, things go you know, bad for I- Captain I- Bird. Ian is leasing this time. It's not his <laughs> time, okay? It's true. <laughs> I signed my rental agreement. Ian, you were I telling us about... The outright title. Yeah. Exactly. Crevasses. You were telling us about crevasses. <laughs> yeah. So like he he talks about he talks about um how just completely other, completely alien this landscape is. And so it's it's nonfiction, it's all true, but it's kind of like reading a description of an alien world, uh, another planet that's not Earth. I believe it. I believe it. How many um I don't know if the book covers this. It sounds like it it sets the scene pretty well um, is there um is it like a, i'm sure it's kind of like alaska right like how many days of light are there a year uh i'm you could say it's like alaska i would say maybe is more. it like alaska, alaska in that way <laughs> alaska is like this so yeah this is a situation i said I, I talked about the the polar winter in my um 
the polar night, sorry, in my 30 seconds. So no. uh, like Alaska, there comes a point in April, May, late April, early May, when the sun sets and the sun doesn't come up again for another like three or four months. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. wild. That's got to be tough. Yeah. It's so it's difficult. We're really hitting the theme here. That's got to feel pretty lonely. So he's just in the dark and it's negative 70 for four months. Um, that sounds <laughs> sometimes, like a nightmare. Like I say, sometimes it gets all the way, sometimes it gets all the way up to negative 20 and that's exciting. That's really, that's oh, warm. Sure, so course. yeah, right. so get, it's get your shorts out. <laughs> right. Get he your goes, sunscreen. He goes to, um, Antarctica with a bunch of other people. Um, and after mm. he's been there for a while, they kind of, they have this plan. Like we're going to set up a, an advance base. We're going to set up a, a, an outpost uh, because we really want to get weather readings over the course of the winter. And they've never done this before. Sure. It's always been like kind of by the coast, which is not as far south, which is not as cold, which is not as like inland, basically. So he's like, yeah. And since I'm the leader of this expedition, I can't like ask people to take risks that I wouldn't take. So he goes. Um, and due to a, a complicated set of reasons, he ends up at this advanced base alone for four and a half months. Whoa. That's yes. hey, that's pretty alone. It's like, very, like, yes. Possibly right. the most hmm. isolated person on planet Earth at this point. Yeah, I mean, right. help, help, help. Uh, other human beings are only about 90 miles away, but right. you need help. But they Ian? can't help. I thought Ian was calling for help. <laughs> help. Help, help, help me, Obi-Wan help. Kenobi. You're my help. only hope. So, so he he does need help. Um, he, he ends up, uh, like right off the bat, bad stuff. So he has these grand plans. Okay. First, let me tell you about his plans and then I'll tell you about how bad things go from the beginning. Um, he, we love that. he plans to be at advanced base over the course of the polar winter, which is the, also the night time. Um, and, um, he wants to get weather recording. So how cold does it get? And what's the snow like? And what's the wind like? And what are the storm patterns like? He wants to take observations of the Aurora Australis. So he's going to go there. They're going to bury this. They, they build this modular shack and they're going to bury it in the ice in the Antarctic. And he's going to live there. And they've got all this gear, all this stuff. They've got like a radio so he can be in radio contact. They've got all the this equipment, which he'll use to measure. And they go there and they set it up. And almost immediately things start going wrong. So um, the day his friends leave, he falls and injures his shoulder. And this is not oh, like, ouch. Bad this timing. is like the kind of thing where he basically now has one good arm. Mm. so 1934 so, wait, right? wait 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 they yeah. leave like yes. they leave and like he basically injures his shoulder waving goodbye to them so like as <laughs> soon as he's by himself yeah he's injured he falls down i think in the process of like the last day's preparation and mm. um uh he doesn't realize like oh hey i've seriously like sprained strained my my shoulder um but as he waves goodbye, it's like, oh, yes, this is this is going to be an issue. So so that's the first thing. He's already kind of in bad shape, but he's like, I'll recover. You know, I've got a lot of downtime. I'll I'll read. I'll catch up on my reading. I'll listen to a lot of records. I'll like come into I'll, I'll, I'll get oh to know my myself. God. And then the first the first week goes by and he's like, shit, 
<laughs> I did I it listened all to all my records. <laughs> got through it all. Well, it's it's really interesting. He's got a lot of work. He's got to like constantly be checking the instruments every couple of hours. Um, and sure. there is like still little cold. F- What's that? Still cold. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a cold. good point. Joe. It's more cold. It's less cold. It's snowing now. It's not snowing. Um, right. And there's also like upkeep he has to do. So um, the instruments have to be out kind of in the the wind. Um, and all like his, his stove goes out into the, the air. So he's got to be like making sure there's no ice clogging up the stove pipe. He's going to be making sure there's no ice clogging up the instruments. So he's constantly out, constantly like wearing himself out and he's, he's doing okay for a while, but then it turns out that the stove's exhaust pipe is not airtight. So the stove is in the Uh-oh. shack. It's burning. Mm-hmm. And the exhaust pipe, which goes to the surface and is supposed to vent all of the fumes, is venting some fumes into oh, the shack. Not hey, good. Ian. Ian, yeah. before you go on with the suspenseful cliffhanger, this is a uh, fiction? <laughs> no. no. It's all true. Oh. It's did you all say tr- that? Yeah. Yeah, I did. All right. At the all top. right. That's on, that's on me. <laughs> yeah, this is all true. That's on me, guys. And it reads it a good reminder, though, for everybody. I think <laughs> it doesn't learned. read like when I say it reads like fiction. I don't mean it reads like it's not true. It reads like it's engaging <laughs> enough. It's it's right. it's suspenseful and it's it's beautifully written and it's suspenseful and it's he kind of spoils it from the beginning because obviously he's writing this, so you know he makes it back and he like at the sure. beginning he's like mistake. So I did, I did live. <laughs> Basically I lived. I didn't die. <laughs> yes. But, um, so, so it's not so much about like, oh, will he survive? You know, he survives. The question is how, so he, he's living alone. Um, and, um, the stove's exhaust is leaking into his, his shack. The night <laughs> <His> comes mouth. <laughs> directly into his, into his lungs. The night comes. He's mainlining it. It, it gets, <laughs> dark it gets really really cold that's it starts to hit negative 70 down below negative 70 and at a certain point he like gets full-on carbon monoxide poisoning inside the shack um there are other shenanigans like he falls down he gets lost and stuff but like the big problem happens when he gets carbon monoxide poisoning inside the shack and basically he has a choice he can either run the stove and poison himself to death or not run the stove and freeze himself to death that sounds like not a great choice. No. You might call it he's between a rock and a hard place. Right yeah, so there's got to be another choice. <laughs> there's got to be some additional uh, solutions well, so, here. So what he does is he basically <laughs> says, "I will uh, do a little bit of carbon monoxide poisoning every day, enough to keep me from freezing to death." Uh, he does a little bit right. of running the stove, but too so much. So he can't fix this thing. No, he, oh, and no. believe me, he tries. He figures out early on that there's a okay. problem with, the, with the, the exhaust. So he's like, oh, I'll do this. And that doesn't work. He tries to cut open a can and use it to, to jimmy an, an elbow joint. And that doesn't oh work. My God. He tries to wrap asbestos around it. And that doesn't work. Like he tries a bunch of stuff and it keeps not working. And it keeps uh. getting worse and worse. He is getting weaker and weaker. He's passing out at various times. And he is, um, there's this kind of, horror movie motif uh there's ice forming inside his shack which is bad like it gets down pretty cold inside the shack the shack is not ever warm but it's like it's livable 
but it's cold enough and there's enough kind of like leaks to the outside air that the ice is forming inside his shack and it's creeping slowly up the walls toward the skylight, which is the warmest part of the room. And he doesn't get like too sensationalist about it. It's just like, yeah, it was another rough day. It's kind of told in the form of his diary. It's another rough day and the ice was a few inches higher up the walls. Eventually I knew it would get to the ceiling. And it's like, basically he is seeing his home, his, his, his living quarters turned into a deep freeze as the ice creeps ever higher and higher. This feels a little claustrophobic. Oh my, so claustrophobic. And he talks <laughs> about the psychological elements of it too. Like the dark, he, he, he talks about light as something that he's thirsty for. Uh, he talks about getting to the point in this eternal Antarctic night where he just lusts for light. He's hungry for light. Um, and he's alone and he's he's thinking about like, well, uh, next time I collapse, I might die. There's a moment when he's, he wakes up and he's like, huh, it was really hard to wake up. I think I was freezing to death. Oh, God. Good thing I woke up. You know, as you've been talking, I've been trying desperately to find a one-star review for the movie The Thing, uh, John Carpenter's masterpiece, uh, 1982 masterpiece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's none. Uh -huh. Zero. There's none. I can't wow. find a one-star review to save my life. So that's a good movie. There we go. The Thing came to mind as I was reading this. Um, obviously, oh, it has yeah. to. It's less supernatural, and I think the horror in The Thing is is a different kind of horror. But that that idea, like... And the Antarctic is a place that is akin to an alien planet. It's so yeah. other and it's so inhospitable. Like if you are out in the, in the weather, you're, you're done for, you can't. So you have to stay inside. But what happens when you're inside and the inside is as dangerous as the outside. Slowly poisoning you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is it. Like every time you have a book or a movie set in these extreme climates, it's always amazing how, one little thing goes wrong and yes. the whole yeah. sweater comes undone. Like it's just like things go to hell immediately. Right. Yeah, and hopefully not your sweater, right? Cause it's so no, cold. Am sweater. I right guys? It's chilly. <laughs> it's chilly. Uh. You guys might be asking, well, okay, why doesn't this chucklehead call for help? He has a radio. Help for help. I told yep. you he has a radio. And he yeah, has and friends. And help is 90 miles away. Only 90 miles away? Yeah. So, like, why not just call them? He believes, and his men believe, the other people in the expedition believe, that you can't do this. They believe that it is impossible to get there in the Arctic night in the arctic winter oh, can't you, be done. you will die this is the prevailing knowledge a uh, belief that you will die if you try and go out in the arctic winter you have to have like a base to go back to and be warm in you can't camp out there in like tents uh you take a car out there and the oil will freeze as you're driving it Right. You take a car out there in the middle of a blizzard and perhaps the snow will drift up around it uh, dozens of feet deep so that you can't get out. Like you can't drive, you can't fly, you can't dog sled, you will freeze. That's what everyone believes. What a great setting, right? <laughs> like I think that's what makes the yeah. thing so good, right? Yeah. Is that it's just, yeah. no, where, there, where there's are you no gonna go? creative. What you gonna do? 
there's no creative like opportunity man i do you remember apollo 13 they like got yeah. back to the earth with like a soda can and like a mm-hmm. plastic bag and like a straw do you remember mm-hmm. that and you're just yeah. thinking to yourself wait a minute <laughs> wait a minute I think you can do that. (laughs) There's a real draw to these kinds of these kinds of uh, stories where like people are absolutely on their own and he is absolutely on his own. He has nothing Mm -hmm. like he has his own ingenuity and willpower to get through. And that's it. Um, So he's like calling out. I'll talk more about his ingenuity in a minute. But first, why doesn't he call for help? I want to circle back to his ingenuity real quick. Yeah, we'll get back there eventually. Um, So. He has radio contact with home base. They can't, they believe everyone believes they can't get out to help him. Um, after a while, they kind of claw. So he's not telling them, he's not telling them I'm sick from carbon monoxide poisoning. I think I'm dying because he believes rightly that if he tells them, they will say, well, we're going to go help you and they'll throw their lives away and they'll die. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he so thinks like they, they have this sense of duty. They'll go out there and do it. So he doesn't tell them I'm sick. He tries to hide it from them. After a while, they're like, interesting. He's taking 20 minutes between sending us messages. Interesting. He's getting extremely tired from hand cranking the generator to send short garbled Morse code radio signals. He's mm-hmm. in bad shape. So they put together a rescue mission and they do. What nobody else had done to that point, they cross the Ross Ice Shelf. It's called the Barrier, which is also very like alien planet. It's called the Barrier. They cross this ice shelf, 90 miles of crevasses, blizzards, negative temperatures, and they get to him and they save his life. And it's just like this, this incredible, they try multiple times and turn back this incredible just uh, triumph of skill and engineering and navigation. You know what I keep thinking of when you tell this story is I keep thinking of Captain Kirk on an away mission. Like, do you know how like when you watch Star Trek, you're like, why are they always putting the captain in such danger? Like there must be better people for this. (laughs) Well, he's such a good captain. That's why he's on the front line. That sounds like what's up with Mr. Bird here. Well, as a hero, Admiral Bird, Rear Admiral Admiral Bird has. Oh, the irony. He's good. Frontline Rear Admiral. (laughs) Over the course of this book. Yeah, like there's a cool adventure. It's horrifying. It's a page turner. It's unputdownable. But the the draw of this is that he learns a lot about himself and about the world. So like he has these physical challenges. He he struggles with like, you know, his skin gets frostbitten. As soon as he touches something made of metal, the skin just comes right off because he's oh yuck. It's fr- it's yeah. so gross. It's gross. really really nasty. But the as big as those physical challenges are, the mental challenges are bigger. He, staying alive is about persevering, not giving in, not letting things kind of slip, being creative under stress. Like he's good at being an explorer. He knows how to like wrap up and stay warm, but he has to develop this mental discipline of persevering, of solving problems, of planning ahead. He has to make radio contact. The radio is busted. And so he takes it apart and he can't figure out what's the matter with the radio. So he puts it back together. And the next day he tries again. And every day he tries again to figure out what the matter with it is. There's one entry from his diary. He's like, I can't figure this out. The radio is completely busted. It's beyond me. And the next day he's like, I did it again. I took this apart for the eighth time and I found the loose connection and I'm back into radioing. And he just has these reserves of perseverance and willpower he didn't know he had. So he's alone. He's by himself in a bad place. Little, you got to give yourself little projects. Yeah, something <laughs> like keeps surviving. Busy. You gotta stay busy. 
but he he persists and he lives and he helps protect the lives of the rescue party. He wants to give up over and over and he never does. And the conclusion is really powerful. The whole book builds up to like they arrive and it's just it's it's one of the most earned endings I've ever read. He lives and he did it. He makes it. Yeah. And it's incredible. Um, all right. Well, that book sounds very nice, Ian. I <laughs> thought you were gonna bring a downer, like Joe was probably gonna bring. I and, my book is not and a your downer. your book sounds thrilling, and I was kind of on the edge of my seat there. Plus, yep. I'm definitely gonna watch the thing. <laughs> yeah, really I really like that movie. <laughs> What what are what is the material in which you you celebrate a certain date um, that the jewelry companies have made up? Now I know one year is wood. Um, I think two year is ceramic. Year three is um, ruby. Year four is diamond. Let's just year go through them. Let's just emerald. get yep. Sure, all of them. Let's hit and them. And what's fifty? Teeth. Theme material. 50 is the stuff that <laughs> themes are made of. Year 50, when something's been around, like when a marriage or a company's been around, you pluck out all of your enemy's teeth and form it into a, 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 a sculpture. Right, right. So, Joe, sure. I don't think Ian has anything there, but I think for next week, in honor of our 50th uh, episode, right? I think we should really bring it on the theme. And right. I mean, what better than gold is a theme? Uh, yeah, gold I mean, is fantastic. I think when my mom retired, she got a... No, that can't be right. She got a golden watch. Is that a thing? A like, gold. you get a golden watch after working at a place for a while. But not 50 yeah. years. You it's don't work true. somewhere for 50 years, do you? Am I going to teach for 50 years? Places might give different... Oh. Like, I know somebody who got a like a clock after working for AT&T for 35 years. <laughs> That's that better have been a nice symbolic. clock. It was made of souls. Oh, that's almost depressing. Oh no, it? no, it's not. I've got we, my grandfather. My grandfather got a watch after working uh-huh. at a place for forty years. Did he have to hide have it up his ass? No, wow. I have that watch, and <laughs> I would never let anything happen to it, even if I was in Vietnam. <laughs> up his ass. <laughs> for four years. Yep. Christopher good. Walken, where did you come from? <laughs> I'm not dead yet, so I can't endorse this show. <laughs> but I do have a watch up my ass. This is great. This is this is a an unexpected cameo. <laughs> Bye. Congra- hey, congrats on your fiftieth episode, Ian and Joe and Nick. Nick, what do you think about that? Oh, my ass. (laughs) No, I said Nick. I don't want to talk to you, Christopher. I want to see what Nick thinks about your endorsement, Christopher. My my ass. (laughs) so much right now. This is concerning. I think Nick fell over. He may have fainted with the delight of seeing (laughs) Christopher Walken on the celebrating screen. Guys, we got to, we got to, what are you, what are you going to bring for our 50th episode? I'm going to bring a book. With it, with gold in the title. The Black Keys have a song, Gold on the Ceiling. I'm not going to bring that song because it's not a book. I'm going to bring yeah, that wouldn't the even fit. Ian Fleming book, James Bond in Goldfinger. 
Oh, that's really clever, Ian. Way to Thank incorporate you. that into it. And and then Joe, are you going to bring um, something wildly a, different, a, a, like a like a, a gold gold book too? In the interest of making your choice easy, um, I'm going to bring something totally different. Uh, and I had all these really good plans to like find, right. but the problem is, it's like yeah. not that many books have the word gold in the title. And I know how Nick, you really like, like if the theme is gold, you would prefer gold was in the title. And I'm, I'm right. here to deliver. That's my brand. Uh, so I am bringing a book by a British author uh, named Ian Fleming, and that book is called The Man. With the golden, Nick, gold, golden gun. The man with the golden gun. A gentleman in Moscow. A gentleman in Moscow. Joe, from the jump, I have to ask you, is this guy's name Towels? And related question, is he named Towels because there are towels in a luxury hotel? Related, related question. Related, one more, sorry. Does uh-huh. our main character steal the bathrobe from this luxury hotel as is right and pro- proper? Well, hold on now. Fourth question coming at you real quick. Uh-huh. Is Michael Jackson's Stranger in Moscow based on this song? Uh, I don't know what song that is. Uh, I'm, I'm only familiar with Michael Jackson's greatest hits. Um, his you name probably is get the rights to it. You just play it right now, Nick. You guys getting that? Absolutely nothing. It kind of sounds like you're making noise with your we mouth. We got slow Nick. motion. It kind of sounds like you're going like. This is the amazing audio that Lidheads show up for. This is Michael Jackson. Uh-huh. And what's the name of the song again? Stranger in Moscow. Stranger in Moscow. Is it because he's a stranger in Moscow? Or is it because yeah. like, oh, yeah. he's it a stranger. is and, stranger and we're getting in the Moscow? Whole, a noir, black and white, you know, Michael right. walking down the street here. It's sure. it's a sad picture. Is he doing that that one walk he does? Like he's on the moon? <laughs> sure. I th- the spacewalk, it's called. <laughs> if this music video started off... It's just like real dark and gritty and like slow and black and white and just Michael Jackson just ripping a moonwalk down Moscow. That would have been so much better than what I just watched. (laughs) Well, Nick, so So I guess that's my question, Joe. So to answer your question, I do not believe that the Michael Jackson song is based on this book because this book came out in 2016 and Michael Jackson died sometime before that, uh, let alone, uh, you know, recorded his yeah, famous this, song about being a stranger in Moscow. song came out in 94, so yeah, that timeline does not match Just, up. Just does, does not, not match, match up. Match. Um, second that one's all, on I, me. I don't know how to pronounce this guy's last name, but I'm going to go ahead for, sure. the, for the sake of avoiding any tomfoolery, and I'm going to pronounce it as Teles. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce Tell- it as Tells. Good to me. And uh, as I look at it, that is a all, huge, that is a huge mangling, Joe. Teles? <laughs> Uh huh. And how would you pronounce it, Doctor Pronunciation? Doctor Pedantic. Wow, wows. Perfect. Wow. Gotta be able to look that up, Joe. Huh? Um, and to answer your final question, or at least the last question that I remember, uh, the Count would never steal a bathrobe from the hotel. Also, how would that even work? He lives at the hotel forever. Where's he gonna bring it? <laughs> like, like to his room? I'm sure he's dug tunnels out of the out of the hotel, hasn't he? 
No, he has he has not left the hotel. Mm, I, that's that's a really you have Gotta to understand dig those tunnels. that he. He is under house arrest. He has not left the hotel. Joe, are you going to talk about your book or what? Well, I was going to I talk feel like about you're Michael really Jackson stalling songs. here. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> um, this is this is a hard book to talk about because Great. I, I love it. And as <laughs> everybody <brilliant>. knows, <laughs> and as Ian knows, <laughs> which Nick has no appreciation for, How it's hardest you. on this show to talk about the books that you really love. Um there's a bunch going on in this book. I'll just a very brief plot outline because yeah. it, it only has a very brief plot. Um, Alexander Ilyich Rostov is a count. Uh, he's like of the nobility at a time when the Bolsheviks take over. Like th- There's a coup, like there's an overthrow of power. The Bolsheviks take over. They kick out the monarchy. They execute the monarchy and Russia belongs to the people. We get the rise of communism in Russia with Stalin, with Lenin, etc. Like many of the gentry, Alexander is put on trial for being a social parasite. If he is found guilty, they're going to execute him. And that's like the, it's like the background of this ta- of this book. They're going to execute him if they find guilt, if they find him guilty. And at his trial, somebody brings forward a poem that he wrote as a young man, and the poem they decide has revolutionary undertones or maybe revolutionary overtones. And therefore they are not going to execute him, but instead confine him to house arrest at this hotel that he has been living at. And that is kind of the plot. It's also like what happens in the first 15 pages of the book. So, uh, uh okay. Ian, take it. No, go ahead. Ian, take it away, please. No, go ahead, Nick. Okay. Thank you. So, um, <laughs> what, um, isn't he on trial for causing trouble? Why would the poem, which causes more trouble, save him? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Great question. Nick, let me clarify something. Okay. The poem, so the revolutionaries win. Like, the revolutionaries are now in charge of Russia. And he is oh. exactly like the class of people they were overthrowing. But now, like, because he has written this pro-revolution poem back in his youth, they think he's an okay guy after all. Wow. Are you saying that the plot of this book is that he's saved because he's a good poet and poetry saves him? And this is another book like Station Eleven where all you got to do to survive is be a good literature boy. Right. Mm-hmm. Survival is more than just staying alive. Right. Like survival is more than staying, oh, than, than, than living. Yeah. Um, no, that's absolutely not it. I hate to rip on this right from the upfront, Joe, but uh-huh. it, first off, I got a real problem with this new power just killing all the old people. Well, hey, welcome I don't know. to Revolution, Nick. Um, yeah, if you want to talk guess, about revolution. I guess that's, you know, rules of engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, my other thing is that, is this reverse cancel culture? Did they find an old tweet and they were like, oh, never mind. You're cool. You're actually cool. <laughs> that absolved cool. him of his sins. <laughs> That's good. I like yeah, that. This I is, like that. Um, How yes, old was the poem? Uh, years old. Uh, 10 years old at the time. At least two then. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. They basically looked into his history. They looked into his Twitter history. They found a very like favorable tweet and um, he was absolved of the sins of his fathers. I wish it worked like that more. Well, often. That's something that never fucking happens. Nope. <laughs> wow.
when people complain about this book and when when you do see people that don't like this book, which is the vast, vast minority of people, Are, a lot of people talk about the the pacing of it. It's too slow. They can't mm. quite get into it, that sort of thing. Like Ian's book, it sounds like it's it's like this guy out there against nature. And like every page, it sounds like there's something new that might kill him. <laughs> From the moment uh, Count Alexander is resigned to this hotel, he's in relative safety the rest of his life. Like he, as long as he does not leave the hotel, he's going to be totally fine. Um, the pleasure of this book, the enjoyment of this book is kind of like when we read Lord of the Rings and we talk about like how the enjoyment is hanging out in Middle Earth and just like spending time. Mm-hmm. I had the same experience mm-hmm. in Dune, right? Like when you read Dune, the enjoyment is just being there and looking around and seeing the world. The enjoyment of this book is hanging out with Count Rostov hanging out at the Metropole Hotel with him, meeting the characters that he meets, reading the books that he reads, having the conversations that he has, like being, like feeling as witty as the Count is. Like this book is well, And all oozing. the orcs that he defeats. That he does defeat several orcs in this book. Um, and ultimately, like this book is just so, so, so charming. Like it's it's so charming that it's almost like- The title's charming. The title is charming. A gentleman in Moscow. Ooh. Um, so so it's a character driven book, huh? It, you yeah, meet the I characters. Mean, it's a cast you, of characters. Right, you could say exactly it's like it. Knives Out. That movie it's that got a like lot of attention, Out. but was just I didn't really I really get what they were I mean, it was fine. Mm-hmm. You know. Welcome. Welcome to another installment of Nick's favorite segment, the Knives Out Hate Cast. <laughs> no, I don't hate it. How he just totally it. didn't get why everyone liked Knives Out so much. <laughs> it does feel like it, it comes up every few episodes. Clearly, it's nice to have that big of a budget. But like I just <sighs> So is that what it is, Joe? You get to meet the guy who makes his coffee every morning? Okay. So like part of it is, yeah, you get to hang out with him as he lives this kind of life of luxury. Now, it's not a t- life of total luxury in the hotel. I said that okay. they do kick him to the smallest room over the stairs. Um, they, it's actually more of like a broom closet that they clean out for him because he can't stay in his fancy suite. But like hmm. the Count spends his days in conversation. He spends his days reading books. He spends his day eating lunch and eating dinner. He spends his day talking about like um, like wine and old friends. Like, And it sounds like it could be insufferable, but for some reason, it's not like it's just so lovely when you read this book um and speaking of lovely i've brought a very little game for us (laughs) and it's probably the most charming game we've ever played oh Uh, it's called tea or crumpets (laughs) when you frame it like that you know you're setting me at least me and possibly nick too up to try to poke holes in its charm okay Mm, yeah i'm ready All right. The name of the game. I'm just going to name it what they name it. I don't have the word facts in it. I'm sorry to break our continuity. Um, The name of the game is Zoot. And Zoot, as you know, is French for darn. And the reason it's called Zoot is because when you lose the game, the only appropriate response is Zootalore. Oh, that's... All right. It really borders charming and the worst. Yeah. 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 Okay. Who knew they overlapped so closely? Yeah, they do so overlap. So it's a fine line, huh? All right. All right, Joe, we're ready to zoot it up. All right. In the game Zoot, 
one person proposes a category and we go around and we name things that fall inside of that category until we are out of ideas, like until somebody runs out of ideas. So for example, if I said the category is animals that are black and white, I would go first and I would of course say a zebra and then Ian would go and he would say a skunk. Okay. Nick? Uh, a, pa- a pandy bear. And I would say a killer whale. Um, I would say a dog, a Dalmatian dog. A Dalmatian, fantastic. Ooh, penguin, penguin. Of course, a penguin. I would say a, a puffin, a puffin. I would say a woodpecker. Sure. Are woodpeckers black and white? Yeah, I would allow it. Yeah. I'm, re- I'm ready to, to end it on my turn. Yep, Zoot. let's do it. Zoot. Zoot, right. So th- that's what you, a, well, now what's the whole word you say? Zoot. Zoot allure. Like a zoot if suit. I, like a zoot suit. If I remember freshman year French class, um, zoot allure basically means very much darn. Like darn very much. Hmm. So, All right. Okay, so it's, it's, it's little things like this. Like they play the game zoot probably four different times throughout this book, right? Um, like they spend their day, like the count is there. And a lot of the charm is him spending time with the cast of characters that he comes across. And the best interactions that he has are with a pair of um, little, of of young girls, right? Like a pair of young girls, probably about like, what would it be? Probably like 15, 20 years apart. And the first one is a young girl who stays in the hotel. And she is very like inquisitive and very precocious and she wants to like learn about the hotel and they go and spy on meetings and like hide in rooms and the count hangs out with her and they like go around and they like uh, there's a a conference there where like the new government is deciding like how you know how things are going to be decided and the two of these these kind of kids you know the count and this little girl hide up in the balcony under a chair and they eavesdrop on this conference and they watch the proceedings of it and it's just these charming little interactions that that are just so like thick with atmosphere like so yeah like tripping with atmosphere like it's (laughs) tripping with charm it's wit it's subtle humor it's cozy it's adorable it's it's lovely are we getting towards the game or did we just play it ian do you know we 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 kind of passed uh, it was over a secret it. game. The game was <laughs> can Joe sneak more uh, analysis in without was us the, knowing. Were, were you just explaining the rules to the well, game? Okay, well, okay. We played one round of suit. Yeah, we played okay, one round okay. of suit with the black and white. We can yeah. play another round if you'd like. I thought it was gonna be like a book focused one, like name a Russian. <laughs> no, oh. no, no. It's just Putin. Name- <laughs> what do you get out of this book? It sounds like I guess it's just, and this is um. Uh, fiction this yep totally a fictional book um Mm -hmm. written by an american about like a fictional person living during a a real time so i guess you might call it historical fiction okay and so what yeah i mean what do you uh do do you learn anything about the history is it kind of like oh here's the main story and it's character driven but in the background it's this whole like political message or like what's the dynamic that's like exactly what happens Um, this reminds me of what's that one Shit, what's that one movie with Sasha Baron Cohen? It's I think it's uh it, they're in like a train station. Hugo. Hugo. Yeah. Hugo with a little boy. Where it's kind of like you're in this one area where this 
kid kind of lives and like, but it's really about something else completely different. Yeah. Um, okay. Is so this it's like, Hugo? This is um, basically Hugo. Yeah. Like okay. one of the categories that I have here, like all of the best books that we bring is there's a ton of secret learning in this book. Like, <laughs> like right. the count, it's so crazy because like in the course of the count's life, in the course of the time that we know the count, he witnesses, and I'm putting witnesses in quotes here because it, it happens in the background, but he witnesses the Russian revolution, the rise of communism, the, the transfer of power from Lenin to Stalin, the new transfer of power from Stalin to like, when he dies, there's no successor in place. And there's a bit of a power vacuum and like eventually, uh, Gorbachev rises to power. Like world war two happens in the midst of this book. And it's always in the background. Like it's always just like, referenced here and there alluded to right and getting hints and nods yeah it gives it nods. the book is saying hitler doesn't matter let's really focus on this random dude who is stuck in a broom closet in moscow that's Mm -hmm. exactly it okay so that's one cool aspect of the book but my favorite aspect of the book like i think the thing that has brought me back you know three times in the last three months is Mm -hmm. one per month once per month is the boy if i say themes that sounds boring but like the stuff that this book is actually about is really really heartwarming and really encouraging like ian brings this book that's about like the triumph of the human spirit over adversity well it's kind of the same thing here right like but instead of you know the isolation of antarctica i'm talking about the isolation of a luxury hotel one of the cool things that the count does here though is he starts living his life in this hotel and he he makes the best of his situation, right? Like he eats breakfast, he visits with people, he goes to lunch, et cetera, right? He has like a p- perfectly pleasant little life. But as you could imagine, it's a little bit aimless. It's a little bit without meaning. We fast forward at one point, 10 years, and the count is no longer just living in this hotel, but the count has taken a job as a waiter in this hotel. And his position is a waiter. And like the purpose it gives him, the friends that he makes, like he becomes like very good friends with like the chefs along the, the way. Yeah, like it, he creates a life inside of this hotel. But by the end of this book, you realize that you've read a book, not just where you've secretly learned about the Russian revolution and Stalin and Lenin and Gorbachev, right? But you realize that you've read this book and you've secretly learned about like friendship and fatherhood and like the love of returning home and all these like surprising themes for a book and not like downer themes, like really uplifting things, themes and heartwarming themes. Leadheads, um, listen to me please. Lidheads, let me, let me, that was kind of intense. Let me, let me ask you kindly. Lidheads, would you please listen? Here's the truth. We prosper. If you send us some themes, we prosper and you want us to prosper, right? You want us to do well. So go ahead and head on over to our website, which is you don't know that podcast.com and submit either a book or a theme for us to, uh, to, to mash two books together and talk about 
alternatively, or perhaps in addition, you could go to uh, one of our social media channels, or heck, all three of them: Instagram, Twitter, and we're not on we're not on LinkedIn. And if you're looking for our LinkedIn to oh. give us a recommendation, I'm sorry, we don't Maybe have. Maybe we should only yet. have but a you, LinkedIn. Get your friends in on the action. Get your enemies in on the action. Get people you don't care about in on the action. Just just smash that like. Bring and out your dead and so forth. You know what? You're dead. They've been inside your house for a while. Yes. They're stinking out the place. Time to get Bring them, them out. out. The card is passing. Bring out your dead. Boy, if I could pick you both to win, I think I would. Hmm. Man. Adventure in the Antarctic versus versus staying um, in a hotel. Some love some lovely tea at a hotel. Boy, <laughs> um, I, I'd be interested to learn. I, I like to learn about history through character-driven stuff. So, Joe, I think I think you win this week. Joseph, read us that quote. All right. Um, I found a quote. I, I had a few options for this week, um, but I, I have a quote that both shows um, Count Alexander hanging out with one of these charming little girls that he ends up kind of adopting um, as, the, as the book goes on. <sighs> I don't like that. I don't like that. Oh, no, it, no that, it's, it's that's lovely. your own crazy. Yeah. Um, it, it's one of these charming little girls and a little game that they play. And they're playing a game that we I would, hope, I, yeah. they call it heart, hide and go seek. Um, but it's not how we think not of hide and go late, seek. Nick. <laughs> um, I'm going to, we're just going to keep going. Sophia says, you're running a pretty big risk here, Nick. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to read the says, book to find out. I'm ready for the game. All right, then here's how we play. You go back in the bedroom and count to 200. I shall remain in order to hide this within the boundaries of the study. Then, as if from thin air, the count produced a silver thimble that Marina had given to him. Sophia, you do know how to count to 200. No, she admitted, but I can count to 100 twice. Well done. Sophia exited through the closet, pulling the door shut behind her. The count glanced about the room in search of the appropriate spot one that would prove reasonably challenging for a child without taking unfair advantage of her age. After a few minutes of consideration, he approached the little bookcase and carefully placed the thimble on top of Anna Karenia, and then he took a seat. At the count of 200, the closet door opened a crack. Are you ready? She asked. Indeed I am. When Sophia came in, the count expected her to scamper about the room willy-nilly, looking every which way. Instead, she remained in the doorway and quietly almost unsettlingly, studied the room from quadrant to quadrant. Upper left, lower left, upper right, lower right. And then without a word, she walked straight to the bookcase and picked the thimble off the top of Tolstoy. This had occurred in less time than it would have taken the count to count to 100 once. Well done, said the count, not meaning it. Let's play again. Sophia handed the count the thimble. But as soon as she left the room, the Count chastised himself for not having considered his next hiding place before initiating the second round. Now he had only 200 seconds to find a suitable spot. As if to unnerve him farther, Sophia began counting so loudly that he could hear her through the closed closet door. 21, 22, 23? Suddenly it was the Count who was scampering about willy-nilly and looking every which way, discarding the spot this spot for being too easy and that spot for being too hard. In the end, he tucked the thimble under the handle of the ambassador on the other side of the room from the bookcase. When Sophia returned, she followed the same procedure as before, although as if anticipating the Count's petty little trick. This time, she began her survey in the corner opposite from where she had found the thimble in the first round. It took her all of 20 seconds to plunk it from its hiding place. 
clearly the count had underestimated his adversary. But by placing the thimble in such low locations, he'd been playing to her strengths. In the next round, he would take advantage of her limitations by hiding it six or seven feet off the ground. Again, he said with the smile of a fox, it's your turn. What's that? It's your turn to look and my turn to hide. No, you see, in this game, I always do the hiding and you always do the hunting. Sophia studied the count as her mother would have. If you always do the hiding and I always do the hunting, then it wouldn't be a game at all. The Count frowned at the indisputability of this point of view, and when she held out her hand, he dutifully placed the thimble in her palm, as if this turnabout weren't enough. When he reached for the doorknob, she tugged at his sleeve. Uncle Alexander, you won't peek, will you? Won't peek? The Count had a mind to say a word or two about the integrity of the Rostovs. Instead, he composed himself. No, Sophia, I will not peek. You promise? I promise.